This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Well, hello and welcome, everybody. We are in the studio today. It's a rare occurrence. You know, it's trade show season, and either I'm on the road or Patrick's on the road, and we struggle to get guests and get 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 the. Uh, it's like two ships passing in the night, Patrick. I mean, there's more often than not. I'm flying out the day you're flying in. I'm like, how are we going to get this to work? But <laughs> you know, somehow we, uh, we 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 make do with with the little time we do get, right? Yeah, so. and we're here and. We've got Blake Fegler with us again, and I'm excited to visit with you. So Blake, for those of you who don't know, is part of a really cool foundation here in Wyoming called the Muley Fanatic Foundation. So Blake, tell me a little bit about Muley Fanatics. Yeah, absolutely. So the Muley Fanatic Foundation started 11 years ago. They just had their 10th anniversary last year, and it was started by two Wyoming guys, Josh Corsi and Joey Fagel. And the reason they uh, went out to create their own nonprofit is because they were with a different group for a long time. And 11, 12 years ago, they raised an extremely amount of money in um, Sweetwater County. And they didn't see very much fruits of their labor as far as any money going back into their backyard. Boots on the ground initiative. Exactly. Actual you know, collaboration, something getting done. Yes. It just was a perpetual trade show machine that just... Yep. And you talk to just about anybody that volunteers for nonprofit groups. I don't want to name any specifically, but they all kind of go through the same um, model design as far as 70% of all the money raised goes to headquarters out of state typically and 30% stays within the chapter. But when you start doing math, 30% of what you raise, say, in a banquet basically just covers your bill. 30% doesn't give you enough money to actually go out and really make a big impact and a difference in our backyard. And that's one thing I would say, if you're going to donate to any nonprofit, right? As a nonprofit, as a 501c, you have to disclose your financials, Yep. right? And there's some really good ones out there. Pheasants Forever, Ducks Unlimited, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, right? And you can look at their books and you can see they are doing boots on the ground initiative yeah. conservation projects you got some other organizations and i'll throw them under there humane society or defenders of wildlife or some of these other organizations sierra club 90 percent of that money is going to headquarters and they have and when you look at it their administrative fees are 80 or 90 percent of what they gross so they're only giving back five or ten percent and what and the projects they fund with that are projects I wouldn't really call conservation. So, you know, just because Defenders of Wildlife says they're going to do something to help wolves, don't give them any money. Go look at what they're doing with the money they're getting and then turn around and look at Mealy Fanatics. And and we're going to talk about it. What are you guys doing with your money? Well, before we get into that, I would like to just say that our model is completely opposite of most and 70% of our money stays right here within our chapter and where it's raised. Right here in Fremont County. Exactly. And the other 30% goes to headquarters, which is in Green River. So 100% of all the money we raise, whether it be a banquet or a raffle or anything. An auction, whatever's going on. Exactly. 
100% stays in Wyoming. Now, within that 30% that goes to headquarters, because the Mealy Fanatics has now expanded throughout multiple states, headquarters kind of has the choice of whether they want to help a project in Wyoming or maybe Colorado or Utah. So that 30% might not stay in Wyoming, but it goes to Wyoming from when it leaves our banquet. And the important thing is, is you mentioned the conservation efforts that some guys do don't really seem like conservation. Us as a committee with the Mealy Fanatics here at our Fremont County chapter, we get to decide where that money goes. So we're real life deer hunters. We're enthusiasts about the sport and we get to come together and say, what do we feel passionate about that will actually make a difference? And, you know, on, on the other side of it, I've been a member, been to chapters. You know, he just saw that we actually unwrapped my Christmas present and I got my uh, my muley buck back from Kentner Taxidermy right here in a Wyoming muley buck that yep. I spent six days hunting really hard to find. So this chapter and this organization is something I'm passionate about is mule deer are a passion of mine. They're they're unique, right? I've hunted blacktail, hunted whitetail, hunted Sitka. No, don't have anything against them. And I would I would say that a mature blacktail is probably the hardest to kill of all. My heart is stuck on mule deer, man. I love a big timber buck, black horns. Oh yeah. You know, typical four gives you that that one last look before it disappears. Until you've been up in the high country and been there and seen that and done it. I'm sorry, I, I'm gonna somebody's gonna yell at me, but I, I've done some whitetail and it gets your heart pumping when a big buck starts chasing a doe past your stand, but nothing like seeing Bambi's dad standing on the ridge look over <laughs> you and then just disappear into the timber. Yeah, I mean, they call him the gray ghost, obviously, for a reason, because I've seen a deer consistently, say, four or five days in a row, thinking, all right, I've got him patterned. I just need to wait till opening day and I can kill this deer. A day before or even opening day, he's gone. And cool. you may never see that deer in your life again. You can look in every nook and cranny. You can do everything you can ever imagine, and he's just gone. Except for about three weeks after season when the rut kicks in and he's standing on the shoulder of the road again. You're like, where have you been? Yeah, and but the harsh reality is is mule deer statewide is kind of taking it on the chin, especially this winter. They're already you know, in desperate need of help. And then we've got this nasty winter that's long, cold, deep snow, uh, prolonged sub-zero temperatures. I mean, normally we have, Patrick, I've talked about it. Normally we have dirt at my house. I mean, we'll get six inches of snow. The wind will come two, three days later and it's gone. We've had snow on the ground since the first part of December. Exactly. Hard packed. Yeah, we haven't seen dirt since the first part of December. And we've experienced some extremely cold weather on top of that. And uh, I mean, that's no joke. Minus 40, minus 50. Yes. Cold. And, and I mean, here in Fremont County, we really haven't warmed up past 20 on a good day. I mean, we've went weeks with single digits and negatives as lows. And it's just it's hard on these deer. And it's like I said, statewide. And they just need a break. And obviously, we can't control Mother Nature. So the things that we can mitigate are where we're putting our money towards to try to prevent things from go ahead. So I don't want to put you on the spot, but you're talking about trying to save a species so you can go hunt it. How can you justify that? I mean, seriously, no, that's a, that's a good point. Um, in my opinion, especially right now, mule deer should not doe mule deer should not be getting killed in the state of Wyoming. Um, I think Wyoming Game and Fish kind of dropped the ball on still issuing mule deer tags. Um, so, yes, hunting is conservation, in fact, that it raises money through stamps and whatnot to put back into conserving wildlife. But, yes, you are killing animals 
which seems like it's the opposite of what we're trying to do here. We're trying to save animals. But the, the biggest thing is a mule deer buck doesn't have a lot of um, impact on the mule deer herd. So if you kill one mule deer buck, another one will come and breed those same does that that buck would have done. But if you kill a doe, on average, a doe will be responsible for up to 10 fawns in her lifetime. So every doe you kill, if she's at a fawn stage or a young doe, you are basically preventing 10 mule deer on, off the landscape. And that's just a chain effect of then that doe has a fawn and that doe has a fawn and that doe has a fawn. I mean, it's just a cripple effect of, um, I mean, these are our deer makers and we're just, I, I think we're mismanaging them from the Wyoming Game and Fish standpoint. But what we can help is to help getting deer off of the highways and things like that. You That's know. what I was going to mention is this is a really complex ecological system with a lot going on. I did talk to one biologist and he said, mule deer are just evolutionary. They're on their way out. They're going. And I'm like, oh, I, I'm a mule deer fan. I don't want to hear that. But, you know, speak to what are some of the other factors, mortality rates on mule deer besides hunting? Because hunting is controlled pretty it's it is tightly managed right? absolutely so speaking of the winter um you know it takes 66 fawns to survive out of 100 so 66 percent of your fawn crop to survive to maintain your mule deer to maintain to maintain not build but to maintain so when you talk about like the winter of 16 17 when we lost like 82 percent of fawns or 90 percent my favorite unit where we like to hunt. Exactly. It was 100%. I'm not telling you which unit right. that is. It, it might be in Wyoming. It might not. <laughs> but uh, they had a 100% mortality rate on the collared fawns. 100%. And it takes 66% survival to maintain. to maintain. So, yeah. That right there, I mean, that wipes obvious. But like I said, you can't. we can't control that. We can't control Mother Nature to a point. We can do our part in putting less pressure on deer in the wintertime so they don't res you know don't expand on their fat loss especially the spray late spring you know these yes. guys going out and and i'm i'm gonna crack down on if if i hear again of a guy going and picking up sheds on a sled i don't care when it is leave the elk and deer alone leave those antlers on the ground they're gonna be there in another month because it it is scientific fact if you're putting extra stressors and pressure pressure on those animals during that last little bit of you know winter maybe early early spring right before green up their fat reserves are depleted yep. they have nowhere to go to get any feed they have no energy left and now you run them off of what little ground they've found that is comfortable they've spent all winter getting trying to get away from the wolves anyways you you're you might as well just go out there and start shooting those deer right and you don't think you're doing any harm by picking that shed up and i i'm all for shed hunting i'm all for getting more people involved in the outdoors any way we can but stay off of those crucial winter range habitats until it's time to open them up. Yep. I mean, I would like to see some of the the winter ranges not even open until June 1st rather than May 1st. Because sometimes May can be just as bad as <laughs> February. I mean, you just never know. But, yeah, like you said, um, just wait. But, I mean, one of the biggest things that we're hitting on right now is how many deer are getting killed on the highways. Um I think last time I was on this podcast, I made the comment that six mule deer, six to eight mule deer die every single day in the state of Wyoming on a highway, statewide. That might be low. Uh, I mean, 
I haven't been here forever, but there's been a lot of times in my short drive to here in Patrick's house or my short drive from here to town, there's a fresh mule deer or two on the side of the road. Yeah, and one of the biggest leaders for that spot is Dubois, Wyoming, Highway 26, between like milepost 23 to 74. It's right now the biggest hotspot in the state as far as dangerous highways and how many collisions are happening. There's almost 160 deer get killed in just a 15-mile stretch of road every winter, basically, because there's not a lot of deer there in the summertime. So you just take out those few months and how many deer are getting killed. I mean, it's like I said, it's just a chain effect of how many deer we can prevent and bring back into this if they're not getting killed on the highway. And honestly, cars are faster. You know, we, 25 years ago, 55, 60 was a good clip. Now most guys in, in their vehicles are 75, 80 through some of those spots. Oh, yeah. So within our um, chapter here recently, last year, we donated $50,000 to the Wildlife Fund. And uh, the Wildlife Fund is working with Wyoming Game and Fish and YDOT to create a mitigation plan to make high fencing, build an overpass, and use some of the old underpasses that are already taken place, but funnel them with the high fencing. And if you look at projects like West of uh, Pinedale, when they implement these things, they basically take a mortality rate and take it to, to zero. zero. Yeah, There so might be one to two deer get killed in a year randomly, but it's basically zero. We're going to go in that Dubois area because I've seen it in Pinedale. You went from Pinedale was worse. It was like oh, 300. Yeah. Yep. They went from 300 annual on that little stretch. And we're talking like an eight, 10 mile stretch of road down to one, zero. Exactly. And they're going to do the same thing in Dubois, which is, you know, in 10 year period, that's going to be 1600 more mule deer, not including predation, not including hunting, but just birth rate. That's 1600. Yeah. Extra Could you deer. imagine how different our hunting would be if we've always had high fencing, say on that stretch of highway through the last 100 years, how many deer have got hit right now? We're looking at 160 deer, but our deer herd right now up there is such a small fraction of what it used to be. Right. If you, if we would have had this implemented in 10, 15, 30, 50 years ago, rather than killing 160 deer or 500 deer like it was 20 years ago on the highways you're now turning those 500 deer and multiplying them by eight or ten every single time we just have so many more deer if that was the case yeah but the best thing that we can do right now is we know the problem we know the how to solve the problem so let's do it as fast as we can it just takes money and talk about how you determine that i mean obviously there's there's statistics that you use to and you study migration patterns and corridors and how all that works. So kind of tell everybody who's listening, how you come to the conclusion, this is where we need to put a wildlife crossing because it's not something you're just like, well, we've seen deer hit here over the last 10 years. So this is where we do it. That's not the only factor. There's a lot of other factors. Absolutely. A lot of our money has went into research, whether it be migrating, whether it be highway crossings, things like that. And we have a built up, a program of information to where we can look at every mile marker and see which one's the hop zone or you know this one doesn't really isn't known for deer getting hit so we actually know where we want to put the crossings things like that we have all this information out at our at our fingertips but like i said it, it takes a lot of money i mean this um highway crossing project outside of dubois is going to be upwards to 16 19 million dollars by the time you get it done, that is a lot of money. That's more than what our chapter can 
produce you know in, in a long time so thankfully there's a lot of different programs that are compiling all this money and multiplying it and partnering it and we're happy to be just a small portion of that yeah and it's not just mule deer that use these crossings i know i've seen some of the pictures off of the one over by pinedale there's a lot of wildlife that use it everything from little smaller varmint type animals to your elk your carnivores deer, carnivores you've got mountain lions all kinds of things sheep will use them Yep. So it's, it's a really beneficial thing. Like you were talking about over by Pinedale. I remember back in the early two thousands, you drive down the road and there was deer after deer after deer that had been hit, just wiped out, you know, in that whole area around big piney Marbleton, that whole area was, it was just a massacre area. And recently I went up to Dubois and I was expecting to see hundreds of mule deer. Yeah. There's not like it's 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 wild when you drive out there. Those fields just there's a just whole bunch of fields town. before Dubois, a whole bunch of alfalfa fields, yeah. center pivots. Usually, it's I love pulling alongside the road there, taking my optics and my photo because you can find some 200 inch deer Absolutely. standing out there with 100 does or so, and they're just not deer. They're not year. there. They're not it's there. It's wild, and and down here, you know, we've got all this snow. It's it's going to be a really rough winter. I have a feeling for the for the mule deer population and pronghorn. I mean, it's going to be tough. Absolutely. I mean, like you mentioned, this doesn't just benefit mule deer. It, it benefits everything else. But what it also does is it benefits us as people. Because if you yeah. look at this statistic right here, 74% of all vehicle crashes reported to law enforcement were because of wildlife collisions. And of those collisions, these are estimated at just shy of $800,000 annual. And that's just in the Dubois area. Wow. Nearly 74% of the collisions are deer related. Yep. And it's totaling $800,000 in damage. Just in that stretch of highway 26 outside of Dubois. I mean, we're talking, we're not, we're, we're talking, you leave Dubois, you're headed to Yellowstone National Park. You're not even getting up Union Pass. You're just going along the river foothills right there. That's insane. And, you know, (laughs) a lot of highway damage, right? A lot of vehicle damage. I mean, you start calculating, you know, like you said, with with that. And, you know, sometimes people lose their lives, too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you you lose control of your vehicle and you end up rolling your vehicle and in a ditch. I mean, you can die. There's, I'll never forget this. It was uh, when my wife was pregnant with our oldest. We were coming back from Burma Road, so we were driving out here on Missouri Valley, out here locally, kind of where we're at. And we came around a corner. It was right at that low light period. Couldn't see real great. Coming around the bend, I'm like, seriously, right by my house. And this big mule deer buck runs out right in front of me, and we hit that thing. And I was so scared. I was going to lose my kid, you know. And my my wife and I both, you know, the airbags deployed. It It was a hard collision. That stuff scares you. Absolutely. And I mean, if I had swerved, we would have ended up in the ditch and something worse would have happened. I mean, it's, it can cause a lot of issues. Yeah. So many people look at say the Muley Fanatic Foundation and say, well, I'm not a hunter. Why would I support something like Mm -hmm. this? It's like, we're not just preventing, you know, mule deer and creating conservation groups. We're also preventing, you know, issues that are related to everybody. I mean, hitting a deer, you talk to somebody in Wyoming, they've probably done it at least once, or they know somebody that's done it more than once. There's a guy life flighted at the end of the driveway right here at the radio because yeah. he was on a motorcycle, and yeah. there it was early morning, not way early, but it was 8 a.m., and he took he was on a Harley, and there was 
three bucks that were going from my garden across here to the alfalfa field and across the highway every day. And I mean, I'm not to blame, but here I am. I hear some noise. I go out there and this guy's center punched one of those deer that, you know, they got scared by the motorcycle or were just going to cross the road over the alfalfa. And I mean, they brought the life light helicopter and landed it in my driveway. So this is not just a, oh, it's some problem, you know, across town and I don't need to worry about it. I mean, this is, it happens in Patrick's house. It happens in my house, happens by your house, happens all the way to Dubois. And I want to see those, you know, we used to have some big deer right here in my backfield on my little piece of property. Yeah. I mean, just looking at Missouri Valley stretch, I used to be scared to drive from your house to here. We don't even see deer anymore in that stretch. Very few. And I'm kind of getting ignorant in the fact that I'm hitting a deer right now in this part of the world doesn't even seem viable anymore just because the there's so few. But I've seen 200-inch deer or 190-inch deer over by Kinnear Store down here, down uh, Highway 133. And there's a, that little hill you go up before you get to the junction. There's an alfalfa field on the left side, and there's some uh, – and I've – Talk to the biologist a little bit. I'm like, what about doing some high fence and just in some strategic spots and stopping the deer from, because they want to use that low draw, then boom, they hop up on the highway and cross again. Well, let's put, even if it was 100 yards of high fence and make them go out onto the flat to where at least the drivers can have some visibility, visibility yeah. before yeah. they just jump right up on the road in front of you. Yeah. So to, to put light to that, I kind of want to talk about our banquet coming up this March 18th. Um, like I said, all of our money that we raised throughout this banquet will seventy percent will stay right here in Fremont County, and, and that a lot is of your it, guys's primary funding source is this banquet. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, a lot of it will probably go towards that um, wildlife project outside of Dubois. But at the same time, we can sit down as a committee and talk about other things as well. I mean, I don't want to say all of our money for the next ten years is going to go there because I think there's obviously some other projects and other places that need to shine some light on too. So you obviously have a big name speaker coming in, which is really helpful. So you want to talk about that a little bit, who people could expect to hear from at this event? Yeah. So we were able to get Jim Shockey to come to our event. Um, if you buy a VIP table, you will get early entry into our banquet at three o'clock and uh, Jim will do kind of a private meet and greet you can ask him questions. He'll tell stories, kind of whatever. He's open to do just about whatever we want him to do. So that's pretty dang cool to get an hour and a half with Jim Shockey in kind of a private setting. And then the doors will open for the rest of the public at 4.30. And uh, we'll play games, raffles, Wheel of Fortune, Cornhole, all kinds of things. We have we have over 30 rifles from Weatherby that will be at the event. Um, we have a Wyoming Game and Fish Commissioner tag that will be auctioned off in our live auction um, there could be potentially somebody that could win a vehicle and drive away in a brand new rig. Um, I mean, we have a lot of great things not to kind of hide Jim Shockey by any means, cause he's a big deal being here in Fremont County. He's only going to be at three events in the entire United States for this year. And our event is one of them. Wow. So if you want to see Jim Shockey moving forward, maybe ever in your life, <laughs> it's a pretty good chance right here, especially if you're in the West. Cause the other two are back East at trade show type events so um it's a very unique opportunity but we're going to have a lot of other cool things and well like, I, I'll, I'll second i've met jim shockey in person twice okay super humble super honest and just great guy yeah. i mean i've met a lot of people right <laughs> i get to go do that for a job 
And I'll, I'll, I'll throw Jim under the bus. Not really. I was standing in line. This is a decade ago to meet Jim, right? Little fanboy. Been watching him on TV for three decades now. And his publicist is pulling him on the sleeve like, hey, you need to go. You've got a, a meet and greet over here. And I quickly just said hi. Big fan. Took a picture, walked away. And there was a gal across the aisle that was standing there kind of behind me. And she kind of looks at the floor. And Jim goes, you waiting for me? And she kind of sheepishly looks away and goes, yeah. And he's like, get over here, right? And his publicist is screaming, you're late. He's like, I don't care. Here's somebody that wants to meet me. Absolutely. And he took the time. I mean, I, I just backed off a little bit and watched. And he took a couple, three, four minutes and talked to her and chatted with her and got to interact on a personal level. And to me, that really showed who he is. Who he is. Absolutely. And I've actually got that notion because I've talked to his um, his handler basically a lot via phone and email. Um, rather than talking to Jim personally leading up to our event. And he says, would you mind getting one to two people set just to watch Jim as far as not necessarily be his bodyguard, but to just tell him, hey, we need to move. His timekeeper. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> his because he, he talked to, he was talking about Jim and said, the guy just cannot say no. Like if there's a line of 5 million people for autographs, he will stand there until he can't write his hand no more it's like so we kind of have to which i agree keep things moving along but it just goes to show of what kind of person he is and he, like i said he won't say no to somebody well it sounds like it's going to be a great event it's obviously for a great cause yep what what, what are we going to be eating um bunks barbecue here in riverton will be our cater he will have a both a brisket and a chicken option for people he will also be taking care of the bar so you'll have food drinks probably be around 6 30 after a couple hours of games so james if you're listening to this i'm glad you're going to be there and you better bring a bunch of smoked mac and cheese because he makes really good smoked mac and cheese and on top of that in our live <laughs> auction any kind of leftovers that we have he will build a mm. bundle and we'll auction that off someone Oof. can take some leftovers home and on top of that he's also donating a 10 person um, private dinner catering that wow. that will auction off as well. So if you're looking for a good caterer this summer. That guy's amazing, and their food is top-notch. The brisket, oh, man. See, now I'm getting hungry, Blake. <laughs> See what you've done to me. Oh, my goodness. Uh, no, it's going to be a really good thing, and I, I think those of us who've been around mule deer our whole lives, I mean, that was the first deer that I shot was a, was a buck mule deer, right? And at 12 years old. So, I mean, I have a long history with them too. And they're an animal I want to see. I want them on the landscape. I want to be able to enjoy them. I want my kids to enjoy them. And, you know, the idea of what you guys are doing is just super appealing to me because it has to happen. It has to start somewhere because the bleed is real. Like there are lots of places around the state you would normally see mule deer right now that they're just not there. So we have to, we have to get with it. And you already kind of shine light on it as far as saying that the natural occurrence of mule deer might be to the point of in 10, 15 years in some places, they could be basically extinct. Local extirpation might be a real thing, but let's not add to it by Abs you absolutely. Know, turning a blind eye to these wildlife crossings, turning a blind eye to some of these other issues, right? Yeah. And, you know, there's probably opportunities as you go, you know, like for people who listen to this podcast, maybe they they feel a sense of like, hey, maybe I could help out with this. So how would they help donate to the Mealy Fanatic Foundation? Absolutely. So mealyfanatic.org is the website for the Mealy Fanatic Foundation headquarters. Um, all the chapters and recent things we've been doing and a donate now button is right there handy. 
Um, for us personally here in Fremont County, we're the 10 country chapter. You can look us up on Facebook and we have a website ticket sales right now that we'll probably put in this podcast, link it with it so people can go buy tickets. And, uh, this event right here is going to be basically not our only money generator, but I would say 99% of all of our money will be from this one night. Right. And you put a lot of work into it. Oh, know. absolutely. It's not just something that we can pull together within a week or a month. I mean, we think about these things all year long. We have meetings all year long. Right now, as far as next Thursday, we will have a meeting every single week until the night of the event. And you were hampered by COVID. That shut things down. And so kind of playing catch up right now. Absolutely. Um, we actually had gym scheduled in 2020, March. I think it was 21st and COVID hit around the 10th to 15th um it, our banquet literally got canceled like six days before it was supposed to happen so we're actually sitting on a lot of inventory and expenses from 2020 including some money from we've paid jim to show up and um because of covid we lost 2020 and 2021 for a banquet we have not had a banquet since 2019 um, we've done some other things on a smaller scale, but I mean, just us personally, we've lost out on hundreds of thousands of dollars because of it. Mm -hmm. So it'll be good to get you guys back up and running again. I know David's looking forward to the event and I've been a couple times. I'm a contributor and it's, it's a great night. It's a great yeah. time, whether you're a bow hunter, rifle hunter, or if you're just a farmer or rancher and want to come have a good time. Yeah. And yeah. we've got a lot of new faces on our committee. Um, myself and Rowdy Anderson are now the, the co-chairmans of the Fremont County chapter. And we've got a really solid group and we're very organized. And I think this banquet is not just going to be a really good night. It's going to be, we're going to try to make it as, you know, an experience for somebody to show up. And when they leave that banquet, we want people to buy tickets a year in advance for next year. That's the type of event we're we're shooting for and keep growing it right like the more you can grow this the better off you're going to be in the long term and hopefully help the mule deer population so i think Absolutely. that's really great well cool yeah so mark your calendars again what march 18th yep and if you want to get tickets you need to get them now <laughs> here really quick yeah um, as of today we're looking at what the 24th of january we're over halfway sold out and ticket sales have only been live for like eight days so by the time them. this podcast is live, I would go buy your tickets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what are you going to be eating and cooking between now and that? Well, um, every year I have a lot of just ground lean meat that I like to try to find something to do with. Last time I was on here, I, I was talking about jerky, but I have a really good summer sausage recipe. Okay. And summer sausages, you know, it's a pretty good staple along with jerky as far as throw a throw a log in your backpack throw it's a so log good. in your you know your cooler to go either fishing hunting hiking even when i'm on road trips some rich crackers some cheese and a oh, summer yeah. sausage i don't like to really stop fast food that's not my thing absolutely so let, let's hear it so for three pounds of venison two pounds of pork you got five tablespoons of morton tender quick salt one tablespoon of black pepper one teaspoon of mustard seed one teaspoon of, um, or one tablespoon of sugar, one tablespoon of garlic powder or minced fresh garlic cloves, fresh for jalapenos, half pound of high temperature cheddar cheese. Mm. 
That's I'm, I'm hungry again. Gosh dang it, boy. <laughs> You're killing me, man. I've done it quite a few times, and especially when you kill an old mature mule deer buck, they're not the most table fair animals as far as... Grind him twice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so something like that, something you can get a lot of pounds of just ground meat that you might not want to just eat hamburgers. Yeah, no, that sounds really good. I know my kids, you put any kind of summer sausage out, it doesn't matter if it's venison or not, man. It is gone. Especially, like, you, to your point, David, if you've got a sleeve of Ritz crackers and some cheddar cheese or Colby Jack, it's goners. Yep. doesn't take long. (laughs) So, I'm with you. I like that. Well, cool. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get this podcast out. Hopefully, some folks will come and support um as a result of the podcast but um i just want to say thank you for the work that you guys do it's it's a lot of thankless work you know putting on these big events i know it takes a lot of time a lot of effort but it sure makes a big difference in the long run once you get these projects done and like like we were talking about that highway crossing over by pinedale has made a huge difference absolutely and one other thing i'll put some light to um we just finished a podcast talking about a youth foundation hunt and the Muley fanatics started a put the you in hunt foundation where we take kids with life-threatening illnesses on hunting adventures. And, uh, within our banquet, we'll have three different opportunities in our live auction to become a, a youth hunt sponsor. So we will have a, a youth hunt sponsor for the entire year that will help us cover costs as far as fuel, groceries, lodging, things like that. And then we'll have two other different opportunities to be a gun sponsor because after we take these kids hunting and harvest an animal, we also let them take the gun home that they used. So in within that live auction, you won't be buying a gun, but we would be buying the sponsorship for us to pay for that gun to give to the kid. That's awesome. Talk about a good deal. Absolutely. I mean, that that's going to mean a lot to those kids. So thank you for doing that. And if, again, just one more time, people want to check out more on all the things that you're doing, where can they follow you and get all that information? Yep, mealyfanatic.org. And uh, we're the 10 Country Chapter in Fremont County. And uh, look us up on Facebook if you have so, 10 Country Chapter of the Mealy Fanatic Foundation. We're pretty active on there. We'll be posting a lot of different things we have at the banquet. So stay tuned. And if you want to follow what Blake's doing, you can also follow 307 Pursuit. So make sure to follow that one too. Perfect. Just throwing that in there. I appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Well, until next time, get out there once again and enjoy the outdoors. Thanks again for listening to the Radcast Outdoors podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed the show. If so, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast and subscribe, share, and give us a five-star rating, which really helps other people find the show. You can find all of our shows, recipes, giveaways, videos, and much more at radcastoutdoors.com. While you're there, please help support the show by purchasing a Radcast Outdoors shirt or hat. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a Radcast community on Facebook called Radcast Nation, and we'd love for you to join in the conversation there. And of course... Please help support our sponsors who make this show possible. Thank you again to PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Until next time, get out there and enjoy the outdoors. <laughs>